I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. And on this edition of our press review show, we're going to be diving into the story regarding the Sao Paulo winger, Marquinhos, who is seemingly on his way to Arsenal Football Club. Now, the news uh, sort of came out late yesterday. Uh, There was a lot of talk around it on social media. I've got to be honest, this is not a player... I know an awful lot about, but I have done a bit of diving this morning. I have done a bit of research on the player and I'll try and give you guys as much insight as possible. I will look, uh, hopefully, over the next few days to try and get uh, somebody who uh, can come on the podcast that can give us that little bit more insight and that little bit more of a download on Marquinhos. Um, But yeah, in the meantime, you'll have to make do with me. Uh, Let's say a few hellos to some people in the chat. There's lots of you joining us as always. Uh, Big hello to Russ. Hope you're well, mate. How are you, Rich? Uh, Maxim joins us. He says, um, how are you in the chat? All good, mate. Roland Sunday is with us, as is Alex, who says, I hope you can tell me something about this guy. It's come out of nowhere. I can tell you something. You could probably get more elsewhere. I'm not going to lie. But we will do our best and we'll discuss what this means uh, for Arsenal's transfer window moving forward. Um, I don't think it's going to have a major impact. I don't think it's going to have a major effect on any other plans that will have been in place, but we'll come on to all of that. Uh, big hello to Julian. Uh, Paul James says Marquinhos is a left-footed right winger who can play down the centre. He's got a low centre of gravity, but has a playing style a bit like Rafinha. However, he would be a work in progress. I think that's the general consensus uh, around him. Uh, what else have we got uh, in the chat? Uh, Matt says, did you get a new camera or something, bro? Quality looks better than usual. It's the same camera, but what I've kind of realized is that when I use a green screen the quality of the camera diminishes quite a bit which is a little bit weird and a little bit strange and um, I noticed it the other day when I went on to Sky Sports News because I sat I, I sat down with the idea of sitting in front of the green screen and just putting like a, a, a generic red background one of the ones that you've seen on the podcast and I looked at it and I was like can't go on TV with this it, it just doesn't look right it just doesn't look a hundred percent so I went across the room and I raided my drawer where I've got like loads of football scarves and stuff that I've accumulated over the years and just draped them all over the green screen. And all of a sudden, the picture looks a million miles better. So, um, yeah, I think I'll stay with it like this for a little bit. Okay, um, big hello to everybody else joining us as well. Hope you're good. Um, Hope you're all keeping well. Let's dive straight into this uh, Marquinhos thing then, because uh, this is basically the biggest Arsenal news around at the moment. Now, according to reports, Brazilian winger Marquinhos is going to be Arsenal's first summer signing. Uh, Talks over the last week that have been going on, they've been quite intense and eventually an agreement was reached between Arsenal and Sao Paulo for the 19-year-old. Three million pounds or around about that is what's expected to be the transfer fee. Now, this is because Arsenal have found and have taken advantage of a loophole in the player's current contract, which means that Sao Paulo risk losing him on a free transfer. Now, those of you that follow South American football closely and know a lot about it will know that three million pounds, three point seven million dollars, as it's being quoted in some sections of the media, 
is too much money for a club like Sao Paulo to just ignore. Okay, football is significantly wealthier in Europe because of a number of factors. Um, that doesn't always mean that it's better. I think South American football is a hotbed of talent and the passion and, and all the, the colour and the vibrance that you see around it is second to none. You know, so I'm not in the slightest trying to, um, you know, dig out South American football or South American clubs. I think it's fantastic. But financially, they're not on the same uh, level, unfortunately, for them. And it's why when clubs like Arsenal come along and look to take advantage of situations like this and then basically put Sao Paulo at risk of losing the player on a free transfer somewhere down the line, then they have very little option but to come to the negotiation table. And, and that's what's happened here. Now, personal terms, according to the report, are not expected to be an issue. Um, as was uh, rightly said uh, in the chat box, he is a left-footed winger. He is, for me, when I've, and, and this morning I've spent a bit of time watching clips of, of him sort of deep diving into his statistics. He is, for me, a bit of a Nicolas Pepe in that he likes to cut in from that right-hand side and then aim for that far corner um, quite frequently, but with a lot more intensity to his game. He's a lot more physical. He's a lot more powerful than Nicolas Pepe. And I think that that's what lets Nicolas Pepe down. I think that's what Mikel Arteta struggles with when it comes to Nicolas Pepe. It's that intensity. It's that ability to press. It's the work rate. I think all of those things are things that Nicolas Pepe could probably work on a little bit. And those are the things that, for me, mean that Mikel Arteta doesn't quite fancy him. So I think it's important um, that whoever Mikel Arteta goes out and gets, um, you know, has those attributes so that they don't find themselves further down the line in the same position as Nicolas Pepe. Now, it was also rightly pointed out in the comments that this is very, very much one for the future. This is not a player that Arsenal expect to come into the first team straight away. It's Bukayo Saka's position. Um, so you'd imagine that Marquinhos will have a lot of work um, you know, to do uh, if he's going to get anywhere near Saka levels. But he is someone that is expected to join up with the first team squad this summer. So once this deal is complete, which we expect to happen very, very soon, Marquinhos will come and he will be embedded as part of the first team squad. He'll work with the team, he'll work with the manager, he'll work with the coaches with a view to, if he does impress, him going on the pre-season tour. Now, Often we look at sort of these young Brazilian protégés and we go, oh, wow, this guy's going to be the next, da, da, da. this guy's going to be the next Ronaldo, this guy's going to be the next uh, Romario, blah, blah, blah. Because Brazil over the years have produced so many top talents, so many fantastic footballers, that it's very easy to kind of get caught up in that. But I'm well aware that this Marquinhos signing is very low risk at £3 million and is a deal that Arsenal are doing with the hope that he could be, for example, the next Gabriel Martinelli. I don't think anybody's naive enough to think that Marquinhos is at this stage in his career going to be elite from the off, but he is someone that there's there's hope for and there's belief around and Arsenal are looking to be proactive in this sense and I quite like it. Um, so yeah, you know, it's a deal that, that I'm happy to see Arsenal do. It doesn't, as I say, in my opinion, impact the overall plan for the summer. This is an addition. This is someone that we think can go on to achieve good things and can go on to a very, very decent level. And when he does, he'll be there and he'll be ready and he'll be waiting and he'll be used for sure. 
But at this moment in time, this is like a, a, a I don't want to call it this because it's kind of disrespectful, but it's almost like a, a side signing. It's like a, well, the opportunities come along. We quite like this guy. Let's grab him. Let's bring him in with the hope that he'll go on. But I don't think, as I say, anybody at Arsenal is naive enough to think that Marquinhos is going to come in and all of a sudden be brilliant. I mean, how fantastic is it, though, to have quality names like Marquinhos in your team? Just in that, I don't know, there's something about that South American Brazilian vibe that gets me, I've got to say. Um, but look, the differences between a Marquinhos and a Pepe, for example, is that obviously Pepe had proven that he could score goals and, and be impactful in Europe. But that came with a £72 million price tag. Nobody's going to judge Marquinhos, um, you know, based on that £3 million price tag. I think the pressure is automatically off of you when you come in for a nominal fee like that. Because if he does go on and be good and, and you know, push and, and get into the side and become part and parcel of Mikel Arteta's side, everybody will look at it and point to it as great business and a wonderful deal. Whereas Nicolas Pepe was kind of doomed to fail from the start. Now, I'm not comparing the two in the sense of where they are in their careers at the time that they joined Arsenal Football Club. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's been clear for a while that Nicolas Pepe under Mikel Arteta isn't going to work. And, and we probably need to cut our losses and we probably do need to move him on. I think in those wide positions, we've got players. But what I want to see is I want to see us go out and bring in ready-made um quality players who have the ability to produce the kind of outputs that we so desperately need. I mean, I, I love Martinelli, right? I love Saka. I, I love Emil Smith-Rowe. I think they're all fantastic. But there is a level of inconsistency to what they're producing. And it still isn't in terms of numbers-wise at the level of the very elite. And so we're always going to fall short in that department unless we go out and spend money and bring in the right players or we can get them up to the level. It depends what the club feel is, is the right way to go. But I would suggest that adding at least one winger who can give you that level of influence um, week in, week out, as opposed to once every three weeks in the way that we sometimes see with Smith Rowe, that we sometimes see with Bukayo Saka, who looks dead on his feet at the moment. I think that needs to happen this summer. And so if Marquinhos is one of, a number of signings in that area, I'd be quite satisfied with that. But I do think we need more. Um, and I do think that if we want to push on to the next level, we need to be doing that ASAP. OK, um, I wanted to chat about a couple of other bits as well. Um, you know, I, I did say to you guys after the North London derby, when I did the review show uh, straight up, well, not straight after the game, when I got home from uh, from the swamp, that I was going to bring you guys a follow up show the next day. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I, I you know, I've got to be honest. I, I felt awful after that game. Um, I've been accused by, you know, some of my colleagues and stuff of being biased in my assessment of the game, being biased in my sort of criticism of the referee, of how I thought that that was a major, major turning point in the game. And to be honest with you, I don't care. Because first and foremost, I'm an Arsenal fan. And I don't know, have I ever given the vibe off that I'm not an Arsenal fan for people to have been almost taken aback? Some of my colleagues to have been taken aback by the fact that I was quite defensive of Arsenal and I was quite defensive of Mikel Arteta. Like, yes, I work in football media and yes, um, you know, I'm hoping to sort of climb the ladder and stuff. But I'm an Arsenal man. I always have been. I've never sort of put myself across as anything else. And I couldn't help but feel aggrieved when I came home from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last night, uh, last night, the night before, 
And even the next day, when I watched it all back and I watched the analysis and the commentary around it, I found found it all too much. And I didn't want to, you know, dwell on it. I didn't want to go back over it. You know, for me, I think Mikel Arteta said it best when he said, we draw a line under this, we move on, and now it's all about Newcastle. I think that's absolutely spot on. That is the way that you've got to take on this challenge that we've got now, which is a difficult game away from home. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and and sort of pretend that it didn't hurt. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I expected more from the team, or that I didn't expect more. Sorry, from the team on the night, um, and I do think that some mistakes were made. But I think ultimately the game turned on a decision that was incredibly questionable. And, you know, when I said that at the time, I remember looking at the comments and people were like, oh, stop making excuses. And I've looked at the comments on the post-match video since as well. And there are loads of people there saying, you know, you're deluded. I, I think the, the common quote in those comments is Harry's lost the plot. Absolutely not. I'm an Arsenal fan. And there's some high profile people in the media that have also suggested that that was a soft penalty. And therefore, if it's soft, why isn't it up for debate? That's what I don't get. I also don't get the doom and gloom around Arsenal at the moment, as if we're not in a position that surpassed everybody's expectations at the start of the campaign. And I also don't get why so many people at this stage make Tottenham Hotspur favourites to finish in the top four. Yeah, they've got some some winnable games. And yes, um, you know, it, it does feel like they are games that they're probably going to get six points from. Arsenal are up against it going to Newcastle United, but it's in our hands. Tottenham could win both games and still miss out. So, of course, we're still in the better position. Of course, we need to take encouragement from that. And, of course, the doom and gloom merchants need to go crawl back underneath their rocks because whatever happens between now and the end of the season, a fifth-place finish for Arsenal has surpassed many people's expectations. And it's funny that the same people that have become doom and gloom merchants and constantly bang on about how we're going to fail and how, you know, missing out on the top four would be a disaster are the same people that told us we'd be in the relegation zone and that we'd be fighting to be in the top half of the table. So those people clearly don't have a clue what they're talking about because they got it so horribly wrong about where Arsenal were going to be. Why should we now take their opinion on, you know, or, or why should we now... I'm not saying we shouldn't take their opinion. We should take everybody's opinions on board. But why should we now pay credence to that opinion when they got it so horribly wrong in the first place? That's what I would say. Let me take some of your thoughts and some of your comments. And, and there's a few specific examples of things that have been going around in the media over the last sort of 24 hours that I want to highlight about the Arsenal and why I do feel that there is a little bit of an agenda uh, towards us. Um, GK... Uh, G. Krienke, I don't know if I've said that right, um, says not related to the game, but I'm curious to know if you have noticeable fluctuations of your views when we win and lose. Yeah, I do. And you might think that my views or, or listens go up when we lose. And actually, for me, it's the opposite. If you go back on the channel, um, you know, let me bring up the channel now. If you have a look at, for example, the last few games, right? If you look at the post-match reaction shows, because they're probably the best barometer. Um, let's have a quick look. So we beat Manchester United and we got 3.7K views on YouTube. I'm only looking at YouTube here. Um, 
on the instant reaction from the stadium and then 8.2 on the reaction uh, podcast. If you go to West Ham, 2.5 on the instant reaction, 9K on the win. If you then move for, uh, sorry, on the review after the win, if you go to Leeds, 3K again on the instant reaction from the stadium, 7.2K uh, on the post-match podcast. And then you look at the North London derby, 5.4K. So I think I'm proud that this is not a place that people go to when they want to see outrage, frustration, somebody losing their minds. I'm proud that this is a place they come to for rational discussion. I also understand, though, that when we lose, you don't really feel like in a lot of instances, particularly when it was a bit of a sickener like that, you don't want to go and watch and listen to Arsenal content. I didn't listen to or watch anything yesterday. I couldn't even bring myself to do my own, which is my job. So, yeah, um, th there is a difference for sure. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Saswat says the league doesn't want us to succeed, which is understandable. Can only move forward learning from our own mistakes as a team and squad, which is super young. Alex says media pundits rivals all against us. Let's do it and raise a glass filled with tears. Yeah, I mean, and look, let's. this is a good time to kind of segue into um, what Martin Keown was saying yesterday. And I, and I thought it was it was absolutely spot on. And I actually thought this before I'd watched what Martin Keown had to say. Now, as I say to you guys, when I came home the next day, I sat and I watched the game back um, on Sky, obviously. And I thought the commentary was so biased. So biased. Now, sometimes those biases, right, they, they, they come from a subconsciousness and you don't always know that you're doing it. And I get that. Um, I've sort of at times felt myself going down a biased route when I haven't intended to. But you, you know, when you have certain opinions, when you do certain work, when you have certain affiliations and certain emotional connections, you do sometimes get led down that path. What I can't understand is why Martin Tyler um, was so biased and it did feel like he was biased. Um, I felt like he was trying to talk up the game too much. And, and I love Martin Tyler. He's, he's you know, he's, he's on the intro of this podcast. I think he's a fantastic guy and he's a great help to me when I first started my podcast and when I first started sort of practicing commentary. Um, and he's been there for me to give me feedback when I've needed it and stuff. So I don't want to disrespect the man because I think he's a fantastic man. But in terms of his commentary on that night, I did find it biased. You know, I'm not going to shirk away from that. Gary Neville as well is another one. I mean, he's so quick to be outraged about stuff. He's so quick to sort of have a go and really stick the boot in on Arsenal Football Club. And that comes from a rivalry that's been in existence for many, many years. You know, and, and what gets me is that a lot of the time it can be so hypocritical. I mean, Gary Neville saying, that's a penalty, that's a penalty, that's a penalty. And he said it so quickly. But by that same token, if you listen to what he said again, he says something along the lines of, I used to do that all the time as a fullback. You know, that, that's what fullbacks do. They lean into it. So, so hold on a minute. Is it something that's common? If it is, we should be picking up on it every single time. If it isn't being picked up on every single time, then how can you be so adamant that it's a penalty on this occasion when I don't hear you coming with the same energy when you're talking about other incidents? It drove me absolutely bonkers. And I'm delighted. I am absolutely delighted that Martin Keown sat down um, on TalkSport when Simon Jordan and 
uh, Jim White were trying to wind him up, trying to, you know, pick holes in everything he said and basically put them in their place about the biasness involved in that commentary and in that coverage. He even spoke about the replays. And yeah, it's true. You know, there were so many incidents, fouls, moments, tackles, the Son thing where he sort of lashed out at Rob Holding that just never got the coverage that it needed. Yet when Son ran into Rob Holding's shoulder, ran into it, by the way, it wasn't an elbow. I don't know why people were walking around the pitch suggesting it was an elbow. I don't get why that didn't get the same um, energy. And that's what's really, really frustrating as an Arsenal fan. And it's really, really difficult to take, you know. So those are my thoughts uh, on, on Martin Keown's comments and on the biasness. And then to top it off today, I've, I've gone onto social media and I've been scrolling through and I've come across an article in The Telegraph, which is, again, so, so biased. It is unreal. The title is Petulant Arteta Left Himself Exposed. What? Why is it when Jurgen Klopp pretty much every week has a dig about the fixture schedule, um, has a moan about the way Tottenham play football, um, you know, talks about injuries, talks about refereeing decisions. It is the passion of the game. Jurgen Klopp is, is so passionate that sometimes his emotions boil over. So we'll let it go because that's what Jurgen Klopp is. He's a passionate, emotional character. Yet when it's Mikel Arteta, it's petulant. He's, and I quote, picking battles he can't win. What? What? <laughs> Jose Mourinho made a career of being petulant in the media. Used it as the biggest deflection tool ever. Used to use it to take pressure off of his players, to create a siege mentality. And he was all labelled at that time as genius management. Yet when Mikel Arteta does it, it's a problem. Now, people talk about our disciplinary record. And a lot of the time they pin it, don't they, on Mikel Arteta. There was another thing um, where I saw uh, somebody say that, and I heard somebody say, and, and actually it was brought up on um, on the 90 min gas tank that we did the other day as well. And I think it, it seems like a lot. Um, you know, it seems like a lot, but... Actually, when you think about it, it's not like so. So somebody said, I think it was Scott said, and and this is fair enough. Like he said that when he looked at the stats, it was seven percent of the yellow card, or the, sorry, seven percent of the red cards in the Premier League are Arsenal's. And at the time, I went, "Whoa, seven percent!" And then, and then I thought about it. Arsenal have been an ever-present in the Premier League. So there's been more games, more opportunities for our players to be sent off. And um, and then you think about the fact that if there's 20 teams, what's the average, like, percentage? What should the percentage be? 5%. So we're 7%. So we're only 2% above what we should be in theory or what would be the fair share in theory. So when he said that, it kind of jumped out at me and I went, oh, my God, that sounds a lot. And then I deep dived into it a little bit more and I thought about it a little bit afterwards. And listen, he's right to make the point because when you look at that, you will see it and you'll go, yeah, that seems a lot. But actually, when you break it down, it isn't that much. It isn't that much. And we had this disciplinary issue under Arsene Wenger. Players got sent off under Arsene Wenger all the time. Players got sent off under Unai Emery. Players get sent off under Mikel Arteta. 
So to pin it on any one of those, what have we had three rough managers? And, and this is the thing as well that drives me crazy. The common narrative, the most common narrative that we have heard about Arsenal over the last decade or so is that they're soft-centred. They've got a soft underbelly, but apparently we're the most aggressive and roughest team in the league as well. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Does not make sense. Whatever the ratio is, whatever the percentage is, Arsenal were ever present in the Premier League. And um, as uh, as Jay says, our fouls to card ratio is ridiculous. Burnley have made so many more fouls, but never get booked or red carded. Good point. Good point. Right, let's um, let's get some of your, you guys' thoughts. Let's get some of you guys' questions. If you're just joining us, a quick reminder of the news that we brought you at the start of the show. Uh, Brazilian winger Marquinhos looks set to become Arsenal's first signing of the summer. The 19-year-old is close to joining the club from Sao Paulo in a deal believed to be worth around about £3 million. Um, we'll get some more info on him. We'll get some more um, breakdown on him, I'm sure in the coming days and weeks, depending on when that deal is complete. But we'll keep you right across that here. Look, we're going to take a very, very brief pause and we'll be back with the second half of the show. Get your questions in the chat box and I'll take as many as I possibly can. Hello, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Now, before we continue through the show, uh, I just want to bring you guys up to speed with the latest prize on offer from our partners over at Football Prizes. Uh, and this is one I'm sure many of you will be interested in. There's an opportunity uh, to win the 2021-22 squad signed Arsenal shirt plus 11 instant win prizes that are up for grabs. All you need to do is purchase your ticket via the link in the description. Tickets cost £3.95. The competition ends on Monday, the 16th of May at 7.30pm. But if the tickets sell out before then, then you will miss out. So if you do want to get involved in this, head over. Some of the instant prizes include Emmanuel Petit signed and custom framed Arsenal boot, an Arsenal 1971 squad signed and framed Arsenal montage, the Arsenal home shirt, some football prizes vouchers and some football prizes site credit. Uh, there are two days, seven hours, 56 minutes remaining at the time of recording. More than half of the tickets, though, have already been sold. So if you're interested in getting involved, click on the link in the description and we thank Football Prizes for their support. OK, uh, let's go back to the chat box. Uh, what else have we got? Um, this is a, this is a, an out there question. Have you considered doing a constant live stream of your entire life? No, um, because it would consist a lot of um, me sitting with my head in a laptop, sort of typing away. It would consist of kids running around the house screaming, me telling them off, um, and then me sort of breathing a big sigh of relief when they go to bed. So no, I don't think people would find it all that uh, all that interesting, to be honest. Um, what else have we got? Okay, Josh Hunter says, do you see Nelson? having a place in the squad next season. I don't, if I'm honest. Um, haven't seen a great deal of him at Feyenoord. I know he's been on loan there and I know people have talked about how he's actually been quite impressive in the second half of the season, was struggling for game time during the first. I just, I've never really seen enough from Reese Nelson, not not prior, not 
not post his move to final that suggests to me that he is the level of player that we're looking for moving forward. And I think the signing of Marquinhos, um, another young promising winger, when we've got one on our books, kind of indicates that he's not really in the plan. Now, I know that people will say that Reese Nelson's best position is from the left, but with Martinelli, Smith-Rowe clearly ahead of him, I don't really see that uh, materialising. So, no, I, I don't think that he stays and I don't think that he has a future. Um, what else have we got? Do, do, do. Jay says, isn't this transfer, referring to the uh, imminent signing of Marquinhos, a good gesture to Sao Paulo as they're going to become our feeder club? That's what I read. So I think that... Um, I think that there is some sort of um, relationship being formed, being developed there between Arsenal and uh, and Sao Paulo. And that's not a bad thing. As I say, I think that South America is a hotbed of talent. It really, really is. And I think if you can crack that market, you put yourself in a really strong position moving forward, don't you? So I think that the fact that Edu is Brazilian and has those contacts and has those links and, you know, spent some time working with the Brazilian national setup as well and, and, is kind of in the know, I think is a positive. I think you should always deal with the markets that you know best and the ones that you can maximise. I mean, Arsene Wenger was a a real sort of um, trailblazer in that, wasn't he? When he sort of cornered the French market, a market that here in this country we had very little knowledge about. Now, I know things have changed and people have a greater knowledge now, but you think that the way Arsene Wenger used that to his advantage was superb. And I think Edu is trying to do something similar with the Brazilian market. And I'm all for it. You know, as I say, I don't know a great deal about these players, but I think that based on the players that we have brought in, most of them have been successful so far under Arteta and Edu. They haven't all been. There's been a few that, you know, weren't great. But I think in general, when you look at particularly last summer's window, you kind of have to back off and give them the trust now because I think they've earned it to a degree. So, yeah, let's see how it goes. Um, let's see how it goes. But I do think, yeah, um, that there is obviously something being worked on to try and develop those relationships and those bonds so that we can supply them with the money that those clubs so desperately need, but also they can supply us with the talent that we want. Um, what else have we got? Do, do, do. Um, Sko is talking about Ruth Nelson. He says, I've watched him. He looks really good. He never got a proper chance at Arsenal. We only need him as a rotation option. Sell Pepe and bring him in um, and save the money for other positions. Yeah, I guess. I just I just don't see it happening, mate. Um, and, and also as well, I'm always wary of the fact that, you know, the Dutch Eredivisie is not at the same level, is it, in terms of the league and the competition? Now, I don't want to be disrespectful, but you, you're not always certain that that form is going to translate. Alex says, should Arsenal command a bigger fee from Amazon for the world-class content, the start of our dynasty? <laughs> hopefully it is the start of our dynasty and hopefully, you know, the, the content is good and enjoyable for everybody and, and really or as insightful as possible and as is reasonable uh, because I know that clubs don't, don't want to give too much away in these situations. But, um, you know, you can talk about what, what Amazon are going to get paid and, uh, sorry, and what the club are going to get paid by Amazon, etc., to make this. But this also, if it does go well, works as a great PR piece for Arsenal, doesn't it? So I think there's benefit for for both parties here, um, and I think it's more about Arsenal using this as a bit of a mouthpiece and a bit of an bit of an advertisement, really, to show players 
maybe that are looking in people that are you know sort of casual football followers who maybe don't know too much about Arsenal show them what the club is all about and try and, and market the club in a much better way um in terms of with fans and in terms of potentially bringing players in so yeah let's see uh G Krienke says I read a tweet from Fabrizio Romano earlier about a potential bid for Jesus isn't this a great change to know the Chinese to know that we're trying to conduct our business early yeah but this is this is one of the key points that I kept making during January like everybody kept saying that you know we've messed up and we still might fall short of finishing in the Champions League as a consequence of stripping the squad down as a consequence of um of not bringing players in but First of all, the club have made it pretty clear, based on the fact that they've already given Mikel Arteta a new contract, that they only aimed or hoped to be back in Europe this season. Fifth place in the club's eyes is seen as progress and is seen as a successful campaign, even if it's not for us, even if it's not for us because of where we are and where we have been and the position that we're in today. But the announcement of the Mikel Arteta contract at the time that it was announced when we just wrapped up fifth place was the biggest indication of what the club's goals actually were at the start of the campaign. So they obviously felt that by doing what they did in January, stripping the squad back even further, moving on some players and then not going sort of, you know, gung ho, trying to bring in players that perhaps they weren't 100% sold on uh, in order to just try and sort of save face. I think they obviously felt that they could achieve their goals and their objectives even in doing that. And they have. Now, we want Champions League and I'm sure they want Champions League. But if they got it, that would be an overachievement. You've heard them describe it as ahead of schedule. So part of what happened in January, although it might damage our chances of getting in the Champions League this season, if you want to look at it that way, Part of what happened in January was preparation for this summer, clearing the decks, making sure that when it got to the summer, we didn't spend the first three quarters of it trying to move players on. And we didn't spend the first three quarters of it stuck like we have been in previous summers where we've been trying to move people on. It's not happened and it's delayed our business, delayed our business, delayed our business. We've got to the end of the, the window and then we've had to move very, very quickly and probably in some circumstances either overpay or miss out on targets that we wanted. I want to see Arsenal prepared for the summer because I think it's another massive summer for the club in terms of the direction that we move forward in. So, yeah, it is refreshing to see Arsenal doing things early. But this wouldn't happen. This moving early, this identification of targets early, you know, well, the identification could happen, but the execution of these deals wouldn't have been possible early if we didn't clear the decks in January. So it was all part of a longer term bigger plan that people you know didn't want to acknowledge and people kind of didn't want to accept at that point i tell you what though if we do finish in the champions league which is still very much possible and we've cleared the decks and we're ready for another big summer then you have to say that they've played it perfectly Sam Tonk says, um, Nicolas Pepe is done right. Such a shame. He was ruined by no consistent game time under Emery and Arteta just didn't fancy him. There's a good player in there. I believe there's a good player in there as well, but I do think it's probably time for him to move on. And I hope he goes somewhere else and does really well. I, I hope that we can get a semi-decent fee in for him, continue on our path, but that he can also continue on his. Um, 
Mikey B says, Harry, check out Freddie Atlas's new podcast, The Fight, Anatomy of a Fix. Many parallels can be made with our games and the Premier League officials. I'll have a check out of that, mate. Um, Tebow says, if we don't win at Newcastle and Spurs beat Burnley, what kind of atmosphere do you foresee at the Emirates against Everton? Uh, it might be a little bit flat um, because, you know, people hoped that we would make the Champions League. But if we do win it, I expect it to be absolutely buzzing. Going back to your question, I think that there will be a sense of appreciation. I think that particularly, the, and I can't speak for everyone, right? Because I don't know what everyone's opinions are. I don't know what everyone's views are. But I would say that in general, the match-going fans have been really, really behind Mikel Arteta and Arsenal this season. Um, have there been wobbles? Yeah, I'm sure there have been. But I think the majority within the Emirates Stadium have been very positive and very supportive. So I don't expect it to be toxic or negative, but it could be a little bit flat for sure. Um, Sam says, any chance you know someone with a ticket to Everton, the ticket exchange race is a nightmare. I don't at the moment, mate, but if I do, I will let you know. Um, I will message you on the Discord thing or on Twitter or something if I hear of one. But yeah, it's um, it's tough, isn't it? The um, but that, but that that goes to show you, Sam, that everybody is invested in Arsenal again, because you know that that game wouldn't have exactly got people kind of flocking in their droves two three seasons ago. So it's um, it's a, a telltale sign of the fact that we are. Um, moving in the right direction again. Saswat says, do you think our play style lacks unpredictability? I watched Real Madrid Levante yesterday and they carved so much space against a mid to low block team. I rarely remember us with that level of space. I think they've got some wonderful players as well, mate. And I think that that um, makes a big difference. Uh, Stephen Foote says, Harry, is there any players we can recall from loan for the remaining games? I can't think of any. Like I don't, I don't know that there's even recall contracts, mate. In um, recall clauses, I beg your pardon, in the contracts uh, of some of the players that we have out on loan. And I'm always reluctant to do that. I think when you decide to send the player out on loan, it should be with the view to the fact that you can get by without them this season. And barring a major, major crisis, um, you know, then you obviously want to leave them there. I don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, with the fitness of of Ben White and Gabriel. That's my big... If Ben White and Gabriel are fit, and then you've got Tommy Asu as well, that's three of your back four. Um, and, and you feel quite comfortable then, don't you? So let's see. Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a nervy time now leading up to Monday's game, which we are going to preview in full on a Sunday's edition of the podcast. Going to pick one or two... Uh, more questions before we wrap up. Uh, Creambone says, do you think the disappointment of Thursday will make it easy for Arteta to pump the team up for the last two games? I actually think that a lot of Mikel Arteta's reaction um, was, was firstly from a place of anger, disappointment, frustration, but I think a lot of it as well was a lot deeper than people give him credit for. I think that Mikel Arteta's mind, the idea of pushing all of the blame onto the officials was one from which he felt that he could protect these players best. Like, he probably felt that 
this could be a big confidence blow. And you can't really afford for that to happen. You can't really afford for that confidence blow to come at such a vital time in the season. So if you do, even if you think the referee is 90% responsible, if you put 100% of the blame on him, there's no room to put it on the players. And therefore, you can then hopefully use that feeling of injustice and, and wrongdoing to fuel them going into that big game, as opposed to having to try and pick them up off of the ground from a confidence perspective. So I think there is an element of that too. And I don't think that Mikel um, gets the credit sometimes for the, the sort of psychological side of the game, in which I think he's shit hot on. Um, Ollie says, does your missus watch our games? Nope, not at all. She's not interested in the slightest. She might watch Match of the Day every now and again if I um, if I stick it on and, and she happens to be sitting there, but she's not... Um, She's not um, She's not interested. Phantom Patient says, having higher hopes than the owners is considered toxic. I'm not a big fan of how easily you accept our lot. We're being shortchanged with the perpetual process. So let me just explain a little bit about why I feel the way I feel on this. And um, first of all, let me say this, because I had somebody in the comments the other day saying that I must be like, one of those fans that never experienced any success at Arsenal because of how I, and I quote, accept uh, where we are today. I don't accept it. I want Arsenal to be striving for their absolute best all of the time. I believe Arsenal are the third biggest football club in England. Therefore, we should be challenging for the game's top prizes. I do. But I'm also not deluded enough and I know enough about football and I watch enough football and I work on enough football to understand that just because of your history, you do not have a God-given right to sit at the top of the pile. And recent years has proven that to us. Chelsea, with a very modest history prior to Roman Abramovich's taking over, have been one of the most successful clubs in this country for a long, long time. Manchester City, who have an even more modest history. Again, look at them today. So history doesn't always dictate where a football club deserves to be today. And I think that we need to get away from that notion. I mean, in the next few years, you're probably going to see Newcastle United being up there. And what have Newcastle United won uh, in terms of trophies over their history? Not an awful lot. So that's, that's where I'm at on that, OK? I don't think your history gives you a right to be right at the top. And, and we need to move away from this logic because there's so many other factors. Wealthy owners, um, you know, good coaches, good transfer policies. I've seen clubs leapfrog others. Like I mean, look at Leicester City. There are a number of clubs in the Premier League that are bigger football clubs than Leicester City, but don't have the, the, the sort of achievements or, or haven't been able to win an FA Cup or win a Premier League title or challenge for the top four in the way that Leicester City have. So this notion that because we are the Arsenal automatically means that we should be right at the top of the table is complete and utter nonsense. You're thinking of, of football in a, in a romantic way. You're thinking, well, it's the magic of Arsenal Football Club. And that is all great. But you still don't get there just based purely on that. You do it based on merit. I don't think that it is easy in today's game with the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea, um, Liverpool, who have been run impeccably well for a number of years, hence why they're in this position. I don't think it's easy to go 
and toe-to-toe with those sides. If Arsenal finish fourth this season, it'll only be below Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea. We'd be the best of the rest. That's a that's pretty much the maximum that this Arsenal side could achieve at this moment in time. So it's not me being accepting. It's not me saying, oh, you know, it's okay that the club only wanted us to finish in fifth. I'm simply saying there's no point in you getting on your soapbox and saying sack Mikel Arteta, sack Mikel Arteta, he's failed. When in the eyes of his employers, he's delivered exactly what it is that they're asking for. So you've got a choice. Either stand up, protest against the ownership, make your point that you think that the ownership are to blame for where we are, um, you know, by all means, go for it. But if you go to work, if you're a salesman, if you're a car salesman, and I set you a target of selling five cars in a month, in a week, five cars in a week, and you sell six, can you sack me? Is there a a justification for you sacking me? You set the target. If you don't agree with the target, if you think the target is too low or that the bar is too low, then take it to the door of those people that set the target. Stop abusing a manager and attacking a manager who has delivered exactly what he was asked to do and could still deliver more. That is my point. You know, Arsenal, because of their history, do not have a God-given right to be at the top of the pile. And quite frankly, if I'm being honest, and I don't want to put a doom and gloom negative spin on it, unless we do a Liverpool and make sure that we get all of the decisions right, that we are almost flawless in our management of the football club, get a little bit lucky in terms of players we bring in, sort of taking it up a level, hitting the ground running, then, you know, then we're never going to be at the top of the pile while there are state-owned football clubs, um, oil-funded football clubs who are just capable every year, year in, year out, of going out and spending crazy amounts of money and bringing in all the world's best players, all the world's best coaches, it's going to be difficult. Okay, so I'm not accepting it because I'm happy with it. I, You know, I my first season, my first Arsenal game was just prior to Arsene Wenger taking control of the football club. So I've experienced the the pinnacle of Arsenal Football Club. There's no, there's never been any greater achievements than two doubles in relatively quick succession than a season unbeaten in the world's toughest league. So you can't say I haven't experienced it. I have experienced it. I've loved it. I want it back desperately. But it ain't going to happen overnight. And if, you know, five years into Mikel Arteta, we haven't made any progress. Four years into Mikel Arteta, we haven't made any progress. Remember, this is only his second full season. If um, if another, if another, If next season, for example we look like we're going backwards and the season after we look like we're not moving anywhere, then I'll be the first person to say, OK, I think Mikel Arteta has done a good job up until this point to get us into a position from which we can be more competitive. But now we need to upgrade. Now we need to move on. But we're not there yet. We're still in the building phase. And the best builder is not always the best decorator. Right, The guy that builds the strongest foundations and does the best brickwork and, and does the best plastering is not always the guy that's going to lay the floor the best or paint the walls the best. Or, do you see what I mean? Sometimes someone else has to come in, build on the foundation put in by others and finish off the work. And that finish can be 
what makes the difference between it being great and not great that gloss on the top and and i just think that we need to be a little bit more patient in patient in that sense um because you know the beginning of this process under Mikel Arteta if you want to call it that was spent dealing with issues that were hangovers from the previous regime and i don't get why people can't see that anyway okay let me um let me leave it there um i have got plenty of uh, work to be getting on with today but always good to chat to you guys um i'm going to be commentating later on today on my first ever FA Cup final. I know it's not like a big deal, um, but for me, it's amazing. Like I'm, I'm really buzzing about it. I will share the link on the Twitter community page, on the YouTube community page, uh, for those of you that fancy tuning in. Um, you know, if you could, even for a few minutes, listen in, see what you think. I'd be so, so grateful. Uh, so I'll share the link, and uh, we'll kick off uh, on that commentary around about five minutes before kickoff. So really looking forward to that. Thank you for all your support. Thank you for all your brilliant comments in the chat box. Um, those I agree with and those I disagree with. It's great to have both sides of the coin in the chat box. Thank you all so, so much. I will catch you all tomorrow with our Arsenal uh, versus Newcastle preview. And uh, yeah, we're going to start building up to what's going to be a nervous night at St. James's Park on Monday, no doubt. Catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.